This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by America Votes with Cards Against Humanity. Make your voice heard with Cards Against Humanity as they offer two new expansion packs about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Learn more right now by visiting AmericaVotesWithCardsAgainstHumanity.com. Hello. Hi, John. <clears throat> Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm <laughs> a little bit disheveled. I'm a little bit, I have to, I have to say, I'm a little bit, not 100% put together. Oh, huh. Yeah. Well, why do you say that? Oh, well, I'm drinking um, canned coffee. Hmm. And uh, it's canned coffee light. Hmm. What's it, what's, it, what's it light on? For 45 fewer calories than oh. the other branded espresso and cream can. Oh, I get it. I get it. I enjoy those. So it's light. It's lighter in calories. Mm. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't sure whether I would enjoy them or not. I I saw them at the grocery and I said, "What the hey? What the hey?" And there was a woman looking at them, and I said, "What do you think about those?" And she kind of. It was you know, my my local grocery, and she said, "Can't live without them." Hmm. I said, "I've never had one." And she said, "Don't start." Yeah. And but there was a lot of whimsy between us, you know. We were exchanging. Sure. She we were exchanging something. Groceries bring also. people together. Yeah, they really do. And so, and I said, which ones are the ones? And she grabbed some that had some sort of flavor, some flavored ones. She was like, "These are my, these are my Achilles heel." And I said, "I don't think I can go that far. I don't think I can go to, you know." Is it like a, like a hazelnut or a pumpkin spice yeah, type situation? Something, something like that. Something. Mm-hmm. So then I reached and I grabbed the, of course, the full full octane ones, and I stood there with the full octane ones and the ones that were saying I'm forty five percent less than all of that. I'm forty five percent less of the bad stuff. I'm sitting right next to it. I'm the same price. You really gonna get the full strength stuff? Mm-hmm. The, all the sugar and the cream and all that. And so I did the, I made the, made the compromise. I got one of each. Consumers like choices. Yeah, that's exactly true of me. And sometimes we satisfice. I like that word a lot. Where Mm. you, uh, you got to find the the best of the options. Mm. Yeah. And in my case, I wasn't familiar with the beverage. And so I, uh, I got one of each. And this morning, looking at it in my pantry, because my plan was, right, I was going to, I was going to get the. I was going to have a full strength one because I don't know if you can hear, but in the background, the coffee maker is going. There's oh, real good. coffee on its way. Good, good. Is that coffee you got like uh, in a bag? Yeah, this is bag coffee mm-hmm. that I'm running through the machine. Long time ago, I told you about the coffee maker that I had purchased at Costco, and you said that's a bad coffee maker. Did let I? me fix it. Yeah, you said let me fix that for you. And then the next day, this is this is what it's like being friends with Merlin Man. A lot of people ask me. Yeah. What's it like being friends with Merlin Man? Must be complicated. And I say, let me tell you a story. <laughs> he gave my I mom a wallet. <laughs> he gave me. He gave my mom a wallet. A man's I wallet. I still carry it. <laughs> um, uh, and I said, I got a coffee maker, and he said, that's a bad coffee maker. Let me fix that for you. And the next day, a better coffee maker showed up at my house. Did I get you a Cuisinart? Courtesy of Merlin Man. 
Was it a Cuisinart? Well, well, do you want do you want to know the full story? Do you want to? I always want to know the full story. Here's the well, neat thing with my daughter is uh, she'll ask me a question that I don't really feel like answering. Yeah. Not not because it's about penises or something. She does, did ask about testicles last night, and that was complicated. But sometimes Ooh. she'll ask me a question. I'll go, mm, that's kind of a long story. And she, without missing a beat, says, I like long stories. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to need a new euphemism for I just want to watch TV right now. <laughs> I like long stories. I just, I just want to watch Shark Tank. I don't want to explain <laughs> testicles to you. Those men are dressed like two potatoes, and they're, they're kind of not very good potato costumes. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, Mr. Wonderful said uh, they look like uh, testicles. Oh, Mr. Wonderful. It might have been Mr. Wonderful. It might have been Damon. And, and then they continued to make, uh, then, then they brought in the scrotum. So I, so I was compelled to almost explain the scrotum. I said, it's kind of a long story. Mm-hmm. And she said, I like long stories. Would you explain the scrotum to me? I don't I'm not sure. I know the difference. Were they actually potato costumes or were they dresses, testicles? They were just nominally potato costumes. Sometimes on Shark Tank, they come out and they got a bit. And these guys, this is this was kind of one of the one of the relatively rare um, joke projects. Uh-huh. And these are two guys. It's called uh, I don't want to give them free advertising, but no. basically um, what they'll do is you give guys. them you get yeah you give them ten dollars and they write something on a potato with a sharpie and then mail it to somebody for ten dollars. Yeah. And they were seeking investment. I think they wanted fifty thousand uh, dollars for I think a ten percent stake, Ugh. which would be a five hundred thousand dollar valuation. Uh-huh. As uh, Mark Cuban would tell you, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, they ended up getting funding from Mr. Wonderful. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what, what we're talking about now. I wouldn't. I thought Mr. Wonderful uh, wasn't that like a Rip Torn character. Yeah, he or, was, in, uh, was he played Nixon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I have a good. I have an okay idea sometimes about things you won't understand, mm. and just knowing how much you enjoy. Well, you're 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 a man of the world. You're a man of the yeah. culture. Yes, you got you. You licked your finger and stuck it in the wind. Yes, yeah, Some, sometimes, yes. sometimes you enjoy, uh, and you're a man who enjoys being confused for a minute. Mm. I could tell you more. Mm. Yeah, I was in a dentist. They, office they, look, like, they look, they look, they, they did look a little like testicles because the eyes mm. of the potato, mm. kind of, you know, the, the human eye is a funny thing. Not potato, testicles, not potato thing. eye, but yeah, testicles is a funny thing. But you know, I can't explain the scrotum until I explain the testicles. It's kind of a yeah. long story. I find myself in this situation all the time. There's a lot, there's a lot of person. things about the body I wouldn't want to have to explain because I, I, I act like I understand and I don't really understand. I yeah, don't understand well, why sometimes, uh, I, I'm certainly the only person that has ever done this, but some, sometimes before I use the uh, toilet, I'll weigh myself and then I'll weigh myself after and no. sometimes I weigh more after I use the toilet. No, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Try it sometime. It's really, it's, it's really bewitching. I don't have a scale in my house. I think it might be air. I don't have a TV. I don't have scale. But that's something I don't watch scale to know about. <laughs> I don't watch the I don't watch the scale any more than I watch the TV. I got a Wi Fi scale. I got a Wi Fi scale. I'm free of all your shit. Does your Wi Fi scale click up with your Fitbit? Yep, that uh, works together through the API. Uh-huh. So Does that it open your garage door. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> I got the Matt Howie garage door. <laughs> I uh, I saw an episode of a TV show that I think was a Shark Tank, but it was a Canadian version. I was in Canada. Oh, it, see, so that's just super interesting. A Shark Tank is an American import of a British show called Dragon's Den, mm. which is a little bit more serious, like English <laughs> things are. 
Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den. <laughs> it's it's very serious. And mm-hmm. they put them in the Dragon's Den. Put them in the Dragon's Den. They got to come in. They got to explain their valuation. You know, at least on Shark Tank, they'll tell you things like, you know what? That's not a company. That's a product. Mm. Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. I like that phrase. And then Kevin, I'm starting who's, to... Kevin, who's also known as Mr. Wonderful, will say things like, I'm going to give you the best beef. Take it behind the barn and shoot it. That's what Kevin will oh, say. I don't want to know anymore. Yeah. I'm starting to taste the aspartame a little bit here. I didn't want to get into this, but, you know, it's like Michael Stipe says, when you throw something away, where is away, right? Yeah, that's okay. right. Where is away? Where is, where is, away? is that 45% fewer calories? It's well, in the aspartame taste that's on my tongue right now. Well, and I, I'm always intrigued by this, especially with things like the light bulbs to me are the greatest example of this. But your coffee that you got there is a good example, too. Like with a light bulb, they go, uh, oh, you know, this uses 10% less energy mm-hmm. than a 100-watt light bulb. But I go, well, you know, it's not like elves came into the shop and did that. You did that. You made mm-hmm. it like that with science. Who did? They seem surprised. They go, oh, my God, we got a light bulb. Well, you know how it uses te- it gives 10% less light a lot of the time. Oh, see, that's how they get you. In your case, they said, well, we arbitrarily decided to put less <laughs> sugar in this. Yay us. Yeah, but we they have put total control else. of this product. They own, John, they own the whole tech stack. Let me see here. It's got sucralose. Ugh. That and doesn't sound good. Asulfame, asulfame. <laughs> No, but that's the sucralose. I think is what the, is what I'm tasting. You know, I'm very sensitive to uh, to aspartame or sucralose. I'd love or, to hear or, more about that. Or acacia berries or whatever. I don't like any of them. Oh, any uh, kind of like uh, like a, like a, like a trendy new uh, food additive. No, I'd say I take. I you know, like when I first when I first started drinking it, I was like, oh, it doesn't taste like uh, like Coke Zero. That's this is good. I mean, you know, like there were two days when John John Scalzi was drinking a lot of that stuff on the cruise, and you know I admire him, and uh, and so I tried to get into it because he's always he's crazy with the Coke Zeros, and I said to myself, this is it. I'm finally I've tried I tried Diet Coke in college, no luck. What I, cruise are we talking about? Uh, the only cruise I've ever been on the the Joe John, cruise. John Scalzi was drinking a lot of yeah. He I was drinking a lot of these. No, yeah, that's exactly right. I drink some like a crazy person. Oh, I see. And uh, I tried it, and I still, it's better. It's better than the aspartame, or however you pronounce it, or like, whatever. Aspartame? But aspartame. Yeah, a prison colon and nine chusel. <laughs> All right. All right. Dun, 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 dun. Call Maze and Sewan. Oh, prison colon no. and sign chusel. Uh, the only thing that can push Hamilton out of my head. Okay, well, I got to pivot for this, but you go ahead. Uh, so, so you, you notice there's less sugar in it, arbitrarily less sugar. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want anything to do with these anymore. And I could tell you I didn't when I spot them because I looked at the can and it was the wrong color. Well, here's, here's my here's my pivot because um, you know this about me that I'll get into a thing, and I've had things oh. in my life. Oh yes, I think right now you could legitimately say that for some years now, seltzer water has been a thing. Well, I feel like that that coffee maker that you sent me uh, was also like you were in the middle of a thing. It just happened to be that you were buying coffee makers. Was it the is it the pushy kind? Is it the kind where you push it through the little tube? Pushy, pushy. Was it pushy? Pushy, <laughs> pushy. But you know, for a long time it was Coca Cola. I would drink, and and what I'm getting at, some people it's smoking. But there's like a go to thing that you return to for nourishment, comfort, whatever, several times a day. I think a cigarette is a good example. For me, seltzer is a good example. I drink about 12 of these cans a day. Yes. And I'm just always, I'm always with, I have two, four, six, eight, eight cans on my desk right now. 
in different states of uh, undress, mostly drunk. Do, do you have things like that? Because it feels like it pushes up against some issues that you have with the world. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like, you know, you don't, there was a time when you would smoke cigarettes and when you smoke cigarettes, I think you smoked a lot of cigarettes Yeah, and then, and then you stopped that. Yes. And it seems like you try to catch yourself and you say, leave it. You see yourself. I feel like, I feel like you see yourself having something turn into something you're doing too often or perhaps with not thinking about it. And you say, leave it. Is that accurate? You try and you try and be the ball. Mm, be the you ball, see, Danny. You see the ball. Mm-hmm. You, and then you be the ball. Is it good to be the ball? I'm, I've never been quite sure. Mm. Um, I, I think a lot of people say you, that. It's sort of like people saying they want to be rich. They say they want to be the ball. I don't know if they really want to be the ball. If you if all you have is a nail, every problem looks like a hammer. Oh, yeah, that's so true. So I, So the last couple of days... This is uh, I'm now I'm some, starting to wonder whether this is a problem or not. Okay. Well, you came to the right place because uh, I'm feeling super duper weird right now, hmm. and partly it's because I've been waking up in the middle of the night and staying awake for a couple of hours. Because right as I'm about to go to sleep, I'm already asleep. Let's call it a sleep. Let's okay. call it a toe. I've got a toe in a sleep. Uh-huh. You know that. You know that thing when you're. When you're like, I didn't sleep at all, or I haven't been asleep, but in fact you were asleep. You know that feeling? When oh. you Well, you don't the thing is it's hard to remember being asleep until you're awake, but also your Fitbit will tell you yeah, how see. much you were actually sleeping and it will make you feel bad sometimes. What I've noted well, so that's there's that, but I I I, uh, I often will say, Oh, you know, I just laid down here for a second, I didn't really sleep, and then I look and the clock will reveal actually forty five minutes have gone. Somebody was sleeping. Somebody in this room was sleeping. And so there's but I, I, I have a pretty I have a, a a close relationship with the in and out uh area of sleep, right? I'm a little bit in, I'm a little bit out. And lately I'll get a little bit into sleep, just like just just dip your toe in there. And then somebody in the dream, not like a bad person, but somebody that I know or that is a tangential character or, you know, a casual somebody on the street will turn and and there will be like an uncomfortableness. I will feel a little off. There's something a little off happening here. Hmm. And uh, and this isn't, the, you know, like, I had I had nightmares when I was young, um, like anybody, I think. Uh, but lately, for a long time, I have not. I haven't had any kind of bad dreams at all. I haven't been remembering my dreams at all. Hmm. I've just been, I, I look forward to sleep. I lay down. I mean, I don't like to go to sleep, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. But it's not that I dread sleep. I just don't want to have to stop being awake but it's not like oh what what awaits me you know it's the it's the babadook or whatever who's who i don't want any bad times like it's not like that i just like i enjoy sleeping but lately there'll be like um uh something that jars me from within the dream space so you become sort of self-aware that you're in a dream and it's time to go well, and then I, but then I get a, I get a, a panicky feeling within the dream, and then I come out of the half sleep place in a kind of like, p- 
panic that feels a little bit like if you put baking soda and vinegar together, like, <laughs> you know, you accidentally then, make a dream volcano. I make a dream volcano and I pop up, mm. I pop up out of sleep, but then I'm like, I'm, I'm breathing fast and I'm highly, highly suggestible, uh, 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 I'm highly suggestible of causality of that feeling in the sense that hmm. I know that it's... You think there's a reason that it happened? Yeah. Okay. And I think there's a reason in the real world that it happened. Mm -hmm. Or I, I, don't, I don't think that there is, right? I mean, if I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh, you got into a dream, weird dream place and uh, then you got into a strange panic and now you're awake. Like, roll over and go back to sleep. Okay. But I'm suggestible and have been for now years um, that in fact there was either an UFO in my room trying to touch me mm -hmm. and that's what caused me to jump out of sleep. Now, or I, know, did, I know that was an old, is that still, does that occasionally still happen? That UFOs come in the night? Yeah, look for the anchor man. Um, well, the thing is, I have, I have, I have uh, spun these yarns to myself such that I have created, I think, a lifetime susceptibility to my own goof. Mm -hmm. uh, which is, like, if you are afraid of ghosts, then yes, ghosts exist because you are afraid of them. You're creating them. You're, you're seeing them, right? And um, you're seeing angels in the architecture and you're seeing uh, UFOs in the closet. And that, 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 That's real. The UFOs in the closet? No, no, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I, the, oh. um, I mean, we're, we're pattern matching things and it only takes a little bit of some kind of emotional or intellectual fuel to have you start seeing or noticing things in certain ways. I think everybody does that. Yeah, and 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 so I've I've dug a little trench in my imagination that uh, where I attribute my panic to one of these various causes, either um, like ghouls or a, a kind of generalized bedevilment. Yeah, but like there's, a, there's a third. No, but not to be, you know. No, that's uh, right, though. Yeah, uh, but there's something. There's uh, some kind of an externalish thing that that's causing that to happen. Yeah, um, and so then I can't, I can't immediately roll over and go back to sleep because I'm I'm hyperventilating a little bit, mm. and I'm searching the room and I'm saying, okay, a is there an UFO who has come to touch me, but then run away like a childlike alien that doesn't want to reveal itself. That isn't ready to say that isn't ready to greet me on the international stage. Like, um, you know, like a, like a dignitary, but, but it's just, like, it's more mischievous. Yeah. Sneaking into my house in the middle of the night and, and tickling my feet and making me waking me up from a dream. Yeah. That seems like a dumb thing for an alien to do, but they're inscrutable. Yeah. Or is it that even though I've been living in this house for 10 years, it's suddenly haunted? 
haunted by the haunted by the the ghouls mm-hmm. of a, of the ten thousand Civil War soldiers that never ever marched through this area, mm-hmm. or uh, or something else. Is it um, is it a premonition? Is it so for for whatever reason? Then I lay in bed awake, and this is this has only been happening very recently. It's never plagued me. But um, but the last couple of days, I I ran out of my uh, medicine, my medication. Oh. And I stop, and I was like, oh, I gotta go to the drugstore and get that stuff. And then I forgot that day. And then the next day, I forgot. And that, so now, a lot of that stuff it'll, it'll stay in your system for a little while, but yeah, it starts half life in its way out. Yeah, right, half life in. Mm-hmm. And so. I'm I'm feeling did you do you remember the movie Dreamscape? No, not really. What what is what happened in that? Well, Dreamscape was a movie from the 1980s, mid 1980s, which is sort of our our heyday for cultural references. Yeah. And uh stars a little guy uh you might remember by the name of Dennis Quaid. Mhm. Kate Capshaw, nothing wrong with that. And um and so you know, it's got uh, Max von Sydow in it, Christopher Plummer, and Christopher Plummer, uh, who was uh, Captain von Trapp. Yeah, that's right. But um, it was a movie about like um, Cold War paranoia, and he could go into the dreams, right? It was, it was like, um, all those, all those movies like inner space or movies at the time where people were shrinking themselves down and going into the bloodstream in a little submarine or, you know, it was like a science, science thriller, uh, where, where there's a inner space also featuring Dennis Quaid. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, um, Yes. Interesting. What do you think that is, you, is there a connection? Do you think? I think we're gonna. We may find one. Uh, so, and, and you're familiar with the um, you're familiar with the the actor David Patrick Kelly. Maybe from the movie The Warriors. Warriors. Come out and play. He was in Forty Eight Hours. Oh, that guy. Yeah, the oh, bad guy. Sure. He played a lot of bad guys. Oh yeah, look at that guy. So he is the bad guy in the in this movie. He's a he's a he is a assassin who goes into the dream of the president because he's going to kill him in the dream. Oh, okay. And then, and then in the real world space, the president will appear to have just had a heart attack in his sleep. Oh, but that's in, good. But in fact, he's been killed by a dream assassin, and Dennis Quaid has to go into the. Go into the dream, the president's dream, through the through a wall, right? He's like they, they had to get him into the room next door because you got to be certain, somewhat proximate yeah, yeah. to the person whose dream you're getting into. It's a little bit like the plot of Stranger Vacations or whatever the mm-hmm. TV show that everybody's watching. The one on the Netflix. Also a little, little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, what's it called proprioception. The Batman hmm. guy. What's that movie? Um, Mm, interception the interception the, oh the interception yeah inner yeah what, what's that called inner yeah interceptions interceptions that's, that's the one where you get the levels and you spin your top 
Mm-hmm. And the world folds over on itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, which is a great effect, but 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 weird. Yeah. Anyway, so but the but what what complicates? So there's there's the dream assassin plot, which is pretty heavy, and uh, David Patrick Kelly, super good bad guy. But what complicates it is that the president is having a dream about the uh, about a post nuclear apocalypse that is his fault he started a, n- a nuclear war and now he's like living in the blown out future world okay. so the president the president's already in a in a hellscape of his own and then the dream assassin comes to kill him and then Dennis Quaid comes in to kill the dream assassin I don't want to give too much away Mm-mm. but uh, not a super good movie but it really uh, imprinted on me this um, this geography that you can be a the president, b think you're responsible for nuclear war every night when you go to sleep, mm-hmm. and spend your whole night living in an apocalypse that you created, and then you have to wake up in the morning and be the president again, and try not to do it. It's a little bit of a peacenik movie too, to be honest. Mm. And then assassins can come into your dream. And they'll just seem like dream characters within the dream, but it's actually a like a real bad guy who's there to kill you. And then the, then another guy can show up. So I don't know that imprinted on me. And so the, the, that that those borderlands are very um, yeah, it's very unclear what's going on. So but, whether, you, whether you mean it to be or not, that's somewhere in your mind. You're you're wired a little bit around the idea that there are pathways that a rogue agent could get into a dream. I don't even feel a hundred percent that my dream space is safe from invasion. Okay. But now I haven't taken my medication in a handful of days. And so I'm feeling a little tingly and I'm feeling a little bit disoriented slurry, but it's also because I'm not sleeping. So I cannot identify what my problem is right now. There's a, there, there is a little handful of problems. Hmm. Little, I've, what I have right now is a bastic of problems, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a bag of holding full of small problems. Mm-hmm. What I need to do is I need to get, I need to get out of here <laughs> and go. I need to stop drinking this aspartame coffee and go to town, hitch, hitch, hitch up the wagon yep. to, my, to my dwarf uh, donkeys. <laughs> you come for donkeys? <laughs> I... Somebody after our program last week sent me a link to, uh, to the notion, and it is a, it is a notion of of a comfort donkey. And uh, I spent a little bit of time researching researching small donkeys. You got a little bit of property. You can get, a, you I, get, you get a bastic for it. Exactly what I was thinking. There was a there was a picture donkey of bastic. a couple. <laughs> the people, obviously, the people who are raising dwarf donkeys are baby boomers, right? I mean, we, we keep thinking of, ba- at least in my head, I have a picture of a baby boomer and it looks like, um, it looks like a still photograph from 30 something, right? They're always going to, I'm always going to think that they're 30 and I'm 15. Oh, a, uh, yuppie. A yuppie. Thank you. Exactly. But baby boomers, of course, are 65 years old now. <sighs> and, and, um, at least, you know, and they're wearing dad jeans. Mm hmm. And they're voting for Trump. Mm. 
and for the most part. Yeah. And they're raising dwarf donkeys, right? Mm. I mean, who, because, who, who, else, who else would do it? I mean, I, I can think of I, most 25-year-olds I know would happily raise dwarf donkeys. They just don't have the resources. They'd buy a house, buy also buy a house if they could. They'd buy a house if they could. That's right. They'd, they'd, uh, they'd, 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 they'd accept uh, an offer for a job. A millennium would love to have any kind of, of, of uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you go, go beyond the heritage chickens. But if you want to have four-legged animals that are healthy and have the appropriate bastic, you're going to need resources. You're going to need space. You're going to need a, a tolerant people living in the house with you. Yep. And, I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a whole it's, – it's sort of like saying, like, oh, you know, I want to have a hot tub. Well, there's a lot of dependencies to getting there. <laughs> ditto, ditto for uh, – what is that? What do you call it? What kind of donkey? I'm going to say dwarf donkey. Dwarf donkey. Okay. Um, but there was a picture – so I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, these donkeys are cute. And of course, the way they get you is they show you dwarf donkey babies. Oh, and dwarf, see. Dwarf donkey babies look like a like they're about the size of a Scotty dog. Oh. You're like, this is a thing I definitely want. But you then need, you need realize, a special bastic for that. Oh, yeah, dwarf get, donkeys, look at these. See, but then you get a then they grow up and it's <sighs> you know it's the size of a Great Dane. Yeah, but it's a donkey. Oh, these but, are really cute, John. Yeah. Do you see the picture <clears throat> of the of the two? Baby boomers, mom and dad, let's call them, mm-hmm. in a um, in a surrey with a fringe on top. Except there's no fringe, so let's say it's a fringeless surrey. It looks like one of those uh, vehicles for that. What they call it harness racing. Yeah, that's right. It looks like it looks like if you're going to do that fancy harness racing, uh, except it's 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 two people in J Crew clothes and uh, and a donkey with blinders. Yeah, and the donkeys pulling them in the little in the little Surrey. Mm-hmm. Look at the looks on their faces. Are they not smiling? And I take you out with the donkey do, with the blinders on. Do they not seem like all the choices that they've made in life that have that have deposited them here? Mm-hmm. They're proud of. Don't they look, you think they're proud of everything? Again, dependencies. They got they got time to be together when the yep. sun is out. Yep. They're they out have the they country. have a bespoke two-wheeled vehicle that they can both sit in comfort- comfortably and they have i believe it's called the tack they've got the gear that they need to harness up the animal and perhaps oh, yeah. most importantly they have a dwarf donkey and that's the, those are the contingencies you're talking about you're talking about get yeah. a hot tub mm-hmm. oh boy you don't just get a hot tub you know mm-hmm. what i mean you get a whole you know you get the whole camp train mm-hmm. of people from aquaquip oh and, boy and plumbers lined up out the door, and then you got all the little chemicals you got to buy all you the gotta time. You got to do all the and HV, HVAC, whatever. You got water, oh, yeah. you got heat, you oh, need yeah. space for it. You got to get maybe zoning. Skim stuff off the top all the time, <sighs> depending on how you use it. But if you, I mean, the tack is what's going to set you back 100, 100 bucks a, a week. Oh, yeah. Oh, you Just think so? buying and all then, the little leather bits. Now, do you think, hmm, do you think is this a bastic donkey or is this more of a stable kind of donkey? I, well, that this is what we were talking about this before, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna walk into an airport with this guy, yeah. you're gonna have to make a you're gonna, it's gonna have to be a, a a real vest, and you're gonna have to make a serious you're gonna hold eye contact with people, mm-hmm. right? There are gonna be four or five people. Oh, it can't be like a teehee. I'm getting away with something. No, no, no. You're gonna have to hold eye contact with people. You're gonna have to have a couple of letters uh, mm-hmm. that are uh, that are like notarized notarized letters yeah and you're gonna have to just sit there and look at them and they're gonna look at you you're gonna look at each other in the eye and you're gonna say this fucking donkey is coming on the planet i have so many questions and i i, I again i don't want to be ableist i have so many questions about how far this can go because now i'm looking at a picture here of three dwarf donkeys pulling a man in a very small conestoga wagon oh my god see what i'm saying yeah so so what, what if, if you show up at the airport with that and you're like i need a lot of comfort i, I don't think you can do this that is a mobility device <laughs> 
<laughs> mobility but, device pulled by three comfort donkeys. That I need to take on an airplane. <laughs> not, not, I, I, I feel like I, <laughs> I feel. <coughs> this November, we head to the polls and select the 45th president of the United States of America. But today, Cards Against Humanity is asking you to vote with your dollar for the candidate that you support. The Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton, is a graduate of Yale Law School who has served our country as Secretary of State, Senator from New York, and First Lady of the United States. In her decades of public service, she has tirelessly advocated for women's rights, campaign finance reform, and access to health care. The Republican candidate, Donald Trump, will make America great again. He is a powerful CEO who wears three suits at once. All across America, buildings scream his name. Trump! Trump! He always knows what time it is. Donald Trump is a huge man who lives in a golf course. At the end of this promotion, Cards Against Humanity will tally up the sales of both packs. And depending on which pack gets more support, we will donate all the money in support of Hillary Clinton. Exercise your sacred franchise at www.americavoteswithcardsagainsthumanity.com. I feel... Like there are so many people I know, young people, who would just if what if what we needed as a culture was comfort donkey ranchers, <laughs> two, three, four, there would be there would be so many young people lining up to take this job. All of a sudden, like uh, what do you call four F? What's what's the thing you do yeah, in four yeah, um, F? No, 4-H. All of a sudden, 4-H would become pretty cool. You get oh, some 4-F is when you don't have to go to Korea. That's when you got flat feet. Yeah. But you, you, you think about that now. You, you show 4-H club. 4-H club, you got a Macklemore haircut. Yeah. Right? Well, we, would, we, we, we could repopulate the Dakotas. Oh, right? on all fleek. Those, oh, <laughs> ah, all those little towns out there that, have, that, are, that Monsanto bought and plowed under. Yeah. You know, uh, we could just fill them up with Macklemores. Raising comfort donkeys, but the problem is we don't need them. This is the thing. It well, seems like hmm. from if you're within a narrow perspective, you you could think to yourself, if we made enough dwarf donkeys, think of the problems we could solve. Mm-hmm. Like think of all the people that want right now. They don't want to get in their car and be in rush hour traffic. They mm-hmm. want to go to work in a in a, a Calistoga wagon pulled by three <laughs> miniature donkeys. <laughs> And so, and all we have to do is make the donkeys, and they will come. Mm. But, but see, well, you, you you kind of put your finger on it, though. You look at the uh, these millenniums today; their parents uh, from thirty something. Uh, you know, that's an aging that's an aging population that mm-hmm. they they might have they might have need of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been talking about alternative forms of transportation, urban transportation, for a long time. Long have time. I not? Oh no, absolutely. You know, we're on the verge. We're on the verge of something. <clears throat> It's about to happen, and people now people cusp, send me cusp. articles. Yeah. We're on the cusp. Yeah, people are sending me articles all the times about uh, like metropolitan uh, gondola projects and yeah. funiculars on the rise, literally. Mm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
and all kinds of things, you know, like uh, like uh, but like gondolas, um, but like actually the Venetian kind with a with a like a guy standing on the back in a in a flat hat with oh, a guy pole. in a boater with a big stick. That's right. He carries a big stick. It would be like bike lanes, but water. Um. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, turn everywhere into Venice. How hard can it be? Yeah. But but as we move on on one hand to uh, technological super super state, on the other hand, right, everybody's starting to wear uh, like garters on their sleeves and straw boaters. I saw a straw boater for sale the other day, and I was sorely tempted. Like we're waxing our mustaches. This is the crazy thing, right? So you think we're basically turning into Shakey's Pizza? Absolutely, and and it's the it is the thing that defies science fiction. Like for all of the genius science fiction um, prognosticating that was done in the heyday of science fiction in the 1950s and 60s, when they were really thinking about the future, mm-hmm. like, and we can point to a lot of authors and say, like, wow, they were so, you know, like they had this, uh, they were so prescient, right? They could see, like, we were about to develop the the talking broom or whatever. You point to something that's like, did we? That's funny. It was a good story. <laughs> <A> Wi-Fi like, broom. <laughs> Robert Heinlein or whatever. And his, and his the famous three talking rules broom. of Wi-Fi brooms. <laughs> but what no science fiction writer ever, ever conceived was that in 2016, the music and fashion of the young people would be derived from like a sort of pre-vaudeville mining aesthetic like a <laughs> like like a, like the early days of photography like banjo music and waxed cotton are going to be like waxed cotton a form of weatherproofing that that has been obsolete since the 19 well since the invention of rubber mm-hmm. right <laughs> and and uh like old timey you know like leather bottom shoes and like hop like no well, science bike, bikes in general, uh, penny farthings in particular. Yeah, right. I mean, who, who no, saw the return of the penny farthing? No one. No one. And that's that. And and that's the failure of the imagination, right? That that the science fiction writer of 1959 trying to think about what 2020 would be, is like putting together all these these hovercrafts, and and in fact, it's it's not even um, like. Uh, the, the 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 culture is has discovered and is and is exploiting and mining this crazy vein that isn't even the sexy part of Victoriana, right? It's just like this is just bizarre. Like it stems from a desire to wear suspenders again or something. And so when I think about the when I think about the now and and trying to science fiction my own future and our future, of course we're gonna say. That that the uh, that the dwarf donkey pulling a Calistoga wagon is the future, right? The future of public transit, because it comports with the weird, trendy, like past fixation, the weird, trendy, like fifteen years of the past that we're focused on now. But in but really, thirty years from now, mm-hmm. the fashion is probably not going to be. Like, so it's not going to be frontier anymore. It's what is it going to be? I don't think I think it strains our minds 
to imagine the ways in which dwarf donkeys are going to be employed. Oh, there's no way to predict it. <clears throat> right, there's because, really no way to know. Yeah, because right now you see the dwarf donkey and the cal, uh, pulling the Calistoga wagon with with some with some aging baby boomers on it. They're having a good time. Mm-hmm. You imagine, you imagine uh, the Macklemores will be having a good time doing that. But none of us are imagining what the what the the infant you, you children. You never know. This is if, if, if I had to try and summarize it, because this is something I do think about a lot <clears throat> about thinking about the future and what we know and what we can guess. And you know, we can sort of make these reckons about the date by which a certain kind of very specific thing might happen. But what we can never know is what happens in between right. now and then. That's that's the, you know, in some ways you could you know say something like, well, you know, um, personal human flight. Like that's gonna happen. It's it I can kind of happen now, but like how many other like really interesting, weird, and unpredictable things will happen before we get jetpacks? Right, right. Yeah. Well, hoverboards in the airports. I mean, all the time now. You see, on on my in my own neighborhood, you see uh, kids on those little like hoverboards with the weird gl- blue glowing Are ground. Are still dangerous? Like- I remember hearing around last Christmas that every single one of those is dangerous. They seem dangerous. Well, they, they basically they were they were. I, I, they feel like I heard that they had gotten very popular, and that there was a relatively small number of places in China that were making them in a highly unregulated way, unregulated way, and that they were susceptible to catching on fire. Is that is oh, that still the case? Have they scaled up with that? Is there is so there underwriters lab? you mean not dangerous, lab? just that you're going to fall off of it and break your head, but that it also might explode under your yeah. feet? Well, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Hmm. I I feel like. I feel like it's uh, – when I try and think about the future, I am reminded of how many things in my own life I thought were were going to be valuable skills that I had acquired. And what it turned out was that that it wasn't that the skill had been surpassed. You know, you think about in terms of computer programming, right? You learn how to program in – in uh, Fortran, and then that skill is surpassed by the invention of a new language, and a, you know, and and it feels like a continuous improvement, and your skills can get old. Um, you know, your your doctor skills can get old, or your legal skills can get old, and you need to be continually updating those skills. Right, like you but, need to keep up with Fortran. Right, but it wasn't in a lot of the skills that I acquired. It wasn't the case that my skills became atrophied it was actually <laughs> the, the need that, for those skills in general just went away just went away and well, we've talked right. about think, think of we talked about with you being able to eyeball uh, you know what year that last paul came out things like right. that knowing which lineup of elo was which year there's things like that but also think about this i mean think about the kind of um i'm, I'm thinking here about like there was that time in the 60s 50s and 60s, where for, in the end, relatively short amount of time, people with a high school education could get a a really good job, good wages, good job security, union job, with benefits that would let you retire working in an automobile factory. Mm-hmm. Right, and that was that was in its way a kind of high tech job. But think sure, about this: you could buy a new car every three or four years. Well, think about VCRs getting popular <clears throat> in the early '80s and starting like a VCR repair business. That's a kind of middle to high, not high tech, but like people need somebody to fix their VCR. I mean, this thing costs five hundred dollars. I got to get this thing fixed. Yeah, and the guy at the typewriter that, repair place up uh, up off of Broadway that was there until. I took a typewriter in to be repaired by him into the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, same same kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, and I, and so I, I was thinking about this in terms of songwriting the other day. Oh, I have a, I have a good friend, um, 
who uh, whose name is Eric. He records under the uh, band name Cataldo. And uh, I think he's a, re- a great songwriter. And I, as I was reflecting on him and his songwriting, I realized that his songwriting or the art of songwriting is still a, a viable art, a wonderful art, and you can still be really, really great at it. But the culture, just in the in the in the last ten years, has moved away from a single person with a with a guitar writing songs. In 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 you know there are still plenty of um, plenty of examples that uh, that would you know like what am I trying to say um, uh, exceptions that prove the rule. But we're we're now in a we're now in a in a waning of of songwriting as the as the primary way that people are seeking music and entertainment and 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 it waxes and wanes right i mean in, in, in there's dance music for a while and then it's back to songwriting and then back to dance music and back to songwriting but it really it really did feel like for a long time it felt like a certain kind of pendulum swing yeah and and right now it feels like songwriting to sit and write a song with a guitar is almost an anachronistic thing to to pursue when you have so many options of sitting with your computer and making music and you know generating beats and making making um making music but that that you wouldn't really describe even exactly as like a song as much as it is a sort of scape and thinking about thinking about the future in those terms like i think the songwriter will always return but that may be a bias that may be a a, a prejudice that i have that favors my own past and my knowledge of the past and it may be that songwriting never does return that it that that the technology becomes the art and the, and every once in a while, some some twenty year old uh, Jewish kid from Minnesota steps up in a straw hat and says, "I'm an old man already, and I'm going to start singing songs about hopping freight trains." But I don't know how many yeah. more times that's going to work. Because you, well, you think about like what are, what are some of the golden ages of what we consider songwriting? You've got, I guess you could go back to think about something like Stephen Foster. You could think mm-hmm. about Tin Pan Alley. You could think about the Gershwins. But then even, you know, obviously into the 60s, you got these weirdo characters like Jimmy Webb, like Paul Williams, uh, Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Then you get into mm-hmm. things like the musicals and stuff like that. But it feels like today that superstar role is more like a Mark Ronson now. It's more like a producer. I, mm-hmm. And I know that's been around. Like, you could go back and look at somebody like Trevor Horn in the 80s. Nobody ever remembers him from The Buggles. They, if they do remember him, they know him from Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Yes and ABC and stuff like that. Whereas today, again, Mark Ronson, I think, is a good example where, like, can, can you name that many, like, Mark Ronson songs that you like? Uh, is the one where they ride the bikes around? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I know he does this thing with Lady Gaga. I know he does that. Isn't that hasn't that kind of become the new songwriting? Well... I, I mean, I listen to music all the time in in different uh, environments where I'm kind of astonished. Like, you can hear that the music was expensive to make, um, even if you're just even if you're really gifted and you're just making it on a laptop. 
at home, it's expensive to make because it because of the way it sounds. You have to have you have expensive equipment and you have access to to uh, good players. Like it's not it's not stuff you could program. The playing there's some of it's played, you know, and but I can't figure out what the market for this music is. It was it was expensive to make. <clears throat> and I'm hearing it now, so it was disseminated, obviously. But who would buy this? It isn't songs. It's not stuff that you're like, get, you know, get that record so I can play that song over and over. It's, you know, it's musical. Um, it's musical landscape. And yeah, I think that the line between between music maker and producer and songwriter is all very blurred. Uh, obviously pop music is still churning out song based hits, but, but those are being written by songwriters in a kind of, in a very different way. It's not very brill building. -y. But I, but I'm trying, you know, like when I think of 30 years from now and people listening to music, there's a very real chance that the way people think about music 30 years from now isn't, it just hasn't occurred to me. And I'm, and I'm still thinking like, well, the songwriter is going to come back after this, after, after this period of, of dance, you know, then that, that, then that guitar is coming back out of the closet as it's done a handful of times in my own life. But it, but it isn't inevitable. And I think that, I think that's the hardest part of, of prognosticating. Certainly when I was running for office, it was the hardest part of talking about transportation with people because they, they just cannot conceive of a time when the, the paradigms change so that the whole notion of like, I was driving along the other day, looking out the window at, um, cause you get out, you get outside of the center of any town and all of a sudden, I mean, just a little bit outside of the center, all of a sudden the parking lots just get so big for things. You know, you're, the parking lot of a Lowe's is bigger than the Lowe's. I, I totally forget about that until I'm there. And it's like, I mean, even, you know, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, it's nothing like Florida. I mean, <laughs> there's, it's, unless it is like literally like Christmas Eve, the parking lot at the mall does not get full. The parking lot at Walmart and Sam's does not get full because it is, it is so, so very big. There's so, <clears throat> there's so much parking. And so much land that we think of as being under development or, un, you know, this land is being used. It's not abandoned land, but it's just paved and like, and, and fallow except on Christmas, like you say. And so when you're talking about a future, and I think in the very near future where parking is no longer a, a a thing, <clears throat> you know, if, if, um, if my predictions are true and are you making a coffee? I'm due. I am. No, I just want to you... just, just curious. I mean, you're getting a lot of Foley there. I just want to make sure people know you're making a coffee. <clears throat> oh, you, you're talking about Foley noise like this. Like that's, that's good. Foley. Yep, a little bit, little bit background noise. I want people to be able to locate. I don't have a problem with it. I just want to make sure we're not confusing anybody. Yeah. Do you think our audience gets confused? God, I hope so. I think that they stay right with us. Have you ever heard? This is these are my forecast iron pans. Ready? Here's one. Here's two. 
Here's the third one. And that's the fourth one. Are you, are you, are you at home, John? <laughs> Is that your office pants? <laughs> she hates these pants. <laughs> um, but like when parking goes away. When it's no longer a necessity, <sighs> our world is going to look bananas to us. They're going to look back. So you get your paved driveway. You get in your car, one person in a car on the paved driveway. The paved driveway goes out to the paved little court by your house. You take that to get to the other paved road to go on this very big paved road full of one people in a car. You get off at the paved exit. You drive down the paved access road. You pull into the parking lot. That's going to seem bananas to go to pay the electric bill or, or pick up some uh, jojos that's going to seem nuts it's nuts it's nuts it seems nuts already but but Nobody, like everybody but people go Psh, when you say that because they got yeah, their, because they got their reasons they got well because yeah they haven't they're uh, particularly in, at the level of like hi i'm running for office and i think that uh in particular when we're talking about a three billion dollar levy to expand this system and build it in such a way that it lasts 50 years. We're yeah. going to build this tunnel under the city and it's going to last for a hundred years. And, and you're running for office and saying like, it may last for a hundred years, but we're only going to need it for another eight years. And all you have to do and, is go back and look at, let's, let's pick out an arbitrary time. Like what, what's the time when the car first started coming around, but was nowhere near as popular as a horse. So turn of the century, 19, 19, even 19-teens? Let's call it 19-teens. So the 19-teens, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of people who said, look, you know, these horses are producing a lot of waste. We're going to need ways to better accommodate the waste of horses, which is a completely sensible thing to say, as long yeah. as you assume that that curve is going to continue to go up rather than not just go down, but go away. I'm going to be the horse poop mover king of New York City. Uh, in 1920, I'm going to move more horse poop out of New York in 1920. That's going to get people to vote. They are going to turn out for that because I'm, I forget where I heard this, but there's a wonderful story. It might've been on uh, 99% invisible, but there's a story about like, I think it was Chicago and just the, the, the incredible problem they were having with the amount of horse waste and what horse was, waste. And I think they were just dumping it into the lake, I guess. But it was mm. like it was a, playgrounds. It was, it was the episode that led. That's that's right. That was the episode that led to like why it is they raised up the buildings one floor in order to put in uh, sewage. But but anyway, I'm sorry I didn't mean to derail you. But that's the kind of thing where like I don't think it's surpassingly difficult to look at that in retrospect and say you know what I, I could see how that was really awful. But I'm glad at some point there was one day or there was one week where we went from our last idea of how much we should worry about horse poop to the next idea of like hmm, you know I'm kind of coming around this idea. We need to think about this problem a little bit differently. Somebody's got to do that at some point. I'm not asking you to give up your car or hate your car. I'm just asking you to be honest about looking at the fact that it's not sustainable for the future. And that there may, there may be better ways. I'm not asking you to do anything except keep in mind that there might be better ways. I want to know how we are going to employ dwarf animals in the future. Because I feel like the axis of dwarf animals is, I mean, like... We are making more and more dwarf animals all the time. Yeah. Right? Like the, I think that, and there's, this may be a money-making opportunity. This may also just be like one of those things where when they look back, they say the, you know, the Isaac Asimov's of dwarf animal prognostication <laughs> were John and Merlin. In yeah. 2000, at the at tail end of 2016, they foresaw 
a time when the the global need for animals that are small that are forever young right yeah like we have a global now like passionate need desperate need <clears throat> for baby animals and all you have to do i mean it's like it's what 40% of the internet right is is uh, is baby animals well what if we what if we do a little bit of blue sky solutioneering here what if what if we stop acting like this is something exceptional or weird Mm-hmm. That will go away when people stop being weird about this one thing and You're say, what if now. it's what if it's almost the opposite of that? What if That's this right. is the thing we never knew we needed because right. of the following opportunities? I'll toss out one, just the larger idea of accessibility. Accessibility is good for everyone. There's mm-hmm. no reason not to have accessibility. The biggest failure of accessibility is not thinking about it early enough. This mm-hmm. is how you make ugly things. This is how you make costly things. If you think about accessibility from the beginning and stop acting like it's some weird thing to accommodate you know, this, this one guy in a wheelchair and go, no, everybody needs this or will need this. Think about that from the beginning. And all of a sudden, lots of things start to change. What if in fact, and you know what, shame on us. Maybe we're being too specific by saying it needs to be a dwarf donkey or a specific comfort animal. Obviously there's a Venn diagram where this, this, uh, this this heavily correlates with things like wanting a pet. Mm. The millenniums are not going to want kids the same way that the the previous generations wanted kids. Oh, who knows? There's no way to know. Who wanted a kid? I mean, I don't think the previous generation wanted kids. They wanted draft animals, and the cheapest ones were kids. They wanted draft animals. So, yeah. so it was. It might have been dwarf donkeys all along. That's what I'm saying. Dwarf mm. donkeys all the way down. Mm-hmm. My 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 feeling is yes, right? Like the lately, in in an increasingly large number of Seattle businesses, when you walk in now, the uh, restrooms are like gender neutral mm-hmm. gender gender open and it is so logical it's just so reasonable like you couldn't possibly have a problem with it the logical, only prob- reasonable obvious and not costly not weird there's nothing <laughs> right. about it that's difficult <laughs> the only thing that's difficult is to imagine ever a time when the bathrooms were segregated by gender like you look at it and you go Right. Okay. At a baseball game in a stadium where there are 15,000 guys that all want to take a piss at once, there should, yes, absolutely be troughs where where you can herd all those wildebeests into a thing where they can just pee and keep moving, right? I mean, like – it should be a keep moving, get out of the way situation. You enter by this door, you start peeing, you keep moving toward that door, and then you be done peeing by the end. Right. Don't yes. come up. Works. But otherwise, any other kind of restroom facility, what the hell were we ever thinking that they were, that they were segregated? Right. I mean, you can have a little anteroom where there's a mirror and a sink that everybody can use and then, uh, just, uh, just potties. And that's a, that's like a, a no brainer, like a access no brainer. The, the, the bathroom, the bathroom at my junior high, uh, which was built in, I think, 1977 or 78, um, at the time seemed weird, revolutionary. I don't know what. Of course, they still had boys' and girls' bathrooms. But when you walked into that bathroom, it wasn't really a room. It was really more like, it was more closer to what you see at an airport, you know, where mm-hmm. there's doors in, there's like a, a doorway 
in uh-huh. and out. You think about uh-huh. the classic, let, let, I'm sorry, let me backtrack here. You think about the classic old school bathroom is there is a door that says boys or girls. You go inside and then everything's inside. In this instance, there was more like a, you could kind of see it. You could see into this from outside because it didn't matter. There was a, a, a an area with like six or eight sinks and, and paper towel dispensers. And mm-hmm. then behind that, there was like a dozen doors, f- full like floor to ceiling doors that you open up. To go inside into this your own little private corridor, you close and lock the door. You use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Why is that not pretty much every bathroom? Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. have something private to do, you do the private stuff in a in a stall that's actually private. The old bathrooms, which a lot of people, a lot of people, any younger than us would have no memory of, and I'm talking about the bathrooms that were in um, downtown buildings uh, that were not like '70s skyscrapers, but proper old. Chrysler building style downtown buildings or bus stations, most of the courthouses, most of the buildings that my father spent a lot of time in. And I'm not saying he spent a lot of time in bus stations, but, but the world, the, the world of 1970, which was the decaying world of 1935, <laughs> where the bathrooms. What decades decay are we actually seeing in the current decade? I like that. Like right right now we're seeing seeing the the detritus of the 80s mostly. Yeah, right. I mean, you see the garbage around you and you're like, oh my God, 80s, early 90s garbage. In 1970, it was all 1935 garbage. All these little little old people, you know, still wearing fedoras, eating in in those little like railroad diners where, Mm -hmm. you know, you you walk in and there's just, there's a ham. Um, (laughs) Yeah. All those bathrooms had marble floors and the, 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 the stalls were divided by these sheets of marble that were like two inches thick. Right. With giant, like, giant, heavy wooden doors. Heavy doors and, and, uh, and porcelain thrones, porcelain uh, uh, toilets that were like things of beauty. Everything about these bathrooms, when they were constructed, were things of beauty. And by 1975, they were like st- weird uh like the marble is all kind of discolored and the door has the door fell off its hinges and somebody screwed it back in with a different size bolt and and uh and there was always a suspicion that there was somebody in one of the stalls that had been there all day yeah um but the sound of walking into one of those bathrooms and like the and the echoing of your of your leather sold wingtips like that that's a that's a thing that they they started taking those bathrooms away they just started gutting them and replacing them with just shite bathrooms mm-hmm. but like those bathrooms even in 1935 could have been like uh, all in everybody in well, there's all, also all there's skate also, everybody skate well i mean you're what you're describing i can think of that so clearly there's buildings downtown that are still like that where like the place I used to get my hair cut, you get the keys, you go upstairs, you know, it's again, not meant, it was meant for a different time. It was meant to be like, there's a bunch of businesses in this building. It wasn't meant to accommodate people coming from the haircut place downstairs and the bathroom itself. It, you know, obviously was from the twenties or thirties. Like you say, it was like being in the Senate or something, but mm. really shabby and run down, very mm. difficult to maintain. But Just I'm thinking, as the Senate was in that time. No. Am I right? Mm-hmm. This, but you're also talking about this fixation people have on bathrooms as place for aberrant vice. And so that's what led to, like, in my high school, you know, my high school, the bathroom stalls in the boys' room did not have doors. 
Oh, right. If you wanted to poop, you had to do it. And of course, I never would. Prison poop. I guess. Yeah, sure. You can make it into prune wine. <laughs> you had to go into this because that made it easier to manage and maintain. You could, you'd see people smoking, you'd see them fighting, you'd do see them doing all the aberrant things that boys do in bathrooms. So, you know, uh, one of it is like, like, let's, let's try to keep aberrant stuff out of bathrooms, but that's, I don't know, man. I feel like that's the fixation is there's, there's still this idea that there's going to be some dude in the bathroom who's there to do something with his wiener that ain't peeing. And so, mm-hmm. not not my daughter. She's not going mm-hmm. in there. And it's like, well, that's that's such a strange angle. It's like refusing to go in brick buildings because you think you're haunted. Is it, your, is it your mom that doesn't like brick buildings? No, my mom loves brick buildings. What, what is the my, one? She has a problem with some kind of building, right? So many kinds of buildings that she has. She has problems with contemporary shite construction. Yeah. But she's not opposed to, like, I, I don't think she's opposed to, like, any particular... But it's our hangups in the same way that we're dealing with the garbage 80s. I mean, it's our hangups from other decades that keep us from I'm not even see again. Let's just be clear. I'm not telling you to change anything today. I'm just Mm. saying, like, are you sure that the things you're positive about still have any relevance today? And is it possible that the things you're so positive about that you think still have relevance? Is there any chance at all that that point of view that's doing nothing to make your life better might actually be harming someone else? Well, and this is what I'm saying about dwarf animals. Yeah. We have a lot of, uh, I think, we, we, we mock dwarf animals in general and baby animals and a fixation on baby animals on the internet. Not We don't viciously mock it. It just seems like beneath one's dignity to spend too much time secretly looking at pictures of teacup poodles and tiny little pigs. Oh, man, and- you, spend, you spend a week at our house and you're going to come around. Well, this is the thing, and I mean, but we all do it, right? I mean, I'm I like <clears throat> I'm not going to go out on uh, I'm not going to out myself on my award winning podcast yeah. by saying that I spend any amount of time looking at tiny little baby alligators or cute uh, like owls playing with cats or whatever. John, but, John, I, I've just been killing me the whole episode. Have you ever seen a poodoo? Mm. Can I encourage you to just uh, go to your search engine and type in P U D U? All right, P U D U. Because I'm, I'm thinking like donkeys are good. They're kind of big. What if we got some of these guys oh. to help out? Oh, it's the world. Oh, a little South American deer. It's the world's smallest breed of deer. Can you see uh, how little they are? Oh, that's a very little deer. Yeah, it's a deer that looks a little bit like a rodent. It kind of has a. It's like a capybara mm-hmm. meets uh, oh. 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 a toy sized dog. Oh, oh, see now so. So here's the here's here's me here here we are mm. at the crossroads. There's not going to be parking anymore. Mm-mm. All this land, we get have over all this it. Land. Get over there's, it. There's not going to be parking. We're going to pull up all that all that asphalt and we're going to reuse it. We're going to squeeze it. We're going to milk it for the oil, <laughs> and uh, and we're going to turn it into park benches or whatever people do. We're going to super train it. All that asphalt. And then we're going to have all this open land. There's going to be these these loses. Presumably, we're still going to need loses because who? Oh, what, what is the, the 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 chain of stores? Yeah. What is somebody going to do if they want to tear the classic uh, turn of the century uh, kitchen and bathroom out of their uh, vintage home and turn it into a thing that feels like one of those hotel rooms that you st- uh, extended stay hotel room if you're on a business trip? Oh yeah. Like what if you want to Airbnb the place up a little bit, get yourself a new Wi-Fi broom? 
Yeah, a new Wi-Fi you you're going to have to go to Lowe's. But or but you're going to order it on your Amazon. You know, it's going to be Amazon slash Lowe's slash AOL slash MSNBC. You're going to go tick 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 tick. Or you're probably not even going to go tick 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 tick. You're going to say Siri, is it raining? And then Zoe Deschanel is going to start to cry. I don't know how the future is going to look. But what I <laughs> what would I you want, want would you want Zoe Deschanel to be your Siri voice? You think you'd like that? Siri is only ever <laughs> Siri is like uh, Harvey Corman uh, to me in the sense that can't keep a straight face. <laughs> well, no, in the sense that you know, like every once in a while, uh, I'll be interacting with my phone, and then all of a sudden, Harvey Corman opens a closet door and says, "Hello." And <laughs> it I only go, happens accidentally. I'm like, "No, Harvey, no, back. It's not your no, not your turn yet." Like, yeah, I've never used Siri. I have never employed any of the voice command uh, systems. In my phone voluntarily. Okay. They're just, they're like, they are uh, Easter eggs. If the Easter egg was like a, uh, like a, 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 an angry crocodile, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. And then you can't, then you're like fumbling and no, I don't use those things. Huh. But I, but I, but I know that one, I know that people do. I use them I constantly. Constantly. Yeah, Matt Howie right now, his garage door's going up and down. Open. He's 42 miles away. And he's Open. saying, Siri, Siri, disconnect, disconnect. And the house, the sprinklers are on. India Golf, Niner, Niner, abort, abort. <laughs> but so, so we keep thinking that the purpose of these animals, of these tiny deer and of these uh, dwarf donkeys pulling little carriages is that they are their uh, their um, uh, amusements? They are amuse bushes. Mm. They are um, amuses bush. Amuses bush, right? They are a lieutenant's colonel. Mm-hmm. And we don't uh, we don't think of them as practical. We're not envisioning a future in the same way that 15 years ago we never could have envisioned that the banjo would become the primary instrument of contemporary pop in 2016. We are not we are not realizing that the Pudu maybe is like a real economic driver. Pudu ranching, uh, like how are we going to employ Pudus in in a future economy that we can't even we we can't even picture right now? But I think there is a place for Pudus. I think we're gonna make a place for it and then and then retroactively it's gonna seem inevitable. There it was. We were always on a collision course with with Poodoo's. Well, think th- um, think about automobiles. Weird nuisance. They're they're just scaring the horses. Hmm. Sure. And think about think about right now. We you know like it's hard for us to imagine. Wow, what's the next animal that someone's going to need on an airplane with them? But the reality is, all the animals. The the airplanes are going to be full of animals, and. That's going to seem totally normal. Everyone is going to travel with a companion animal of some kind. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm spitballing here. I'm blue skying. Maybe 20 years from now, every single person travels with a companion animal all the time. Backpacks. There was a time when only children and hippies and people who camped used backpacks. Right. It would seem, it would, uh, it would seem weird for a grown person I'm thinking about when I started college is when I got my first like uh, Jansport stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Or like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. one of those cool backpacks. And I think when I went to college is when I got one because I knew that I knew that when you went to college, you had to have a backpack. You wear it on the one shoulder. 
even though that was kind of stupid, and you put your books in there. Mm-hmm. And then I within the next few years, I everybody's still had a briefcase. Still had a briefcase. Still had a briefcase. <laughs> With your Wall Street Journal folded. Yeah, in. Wall Street Journal in a briefcase. Well, yeah, think la. about <laughs> when uh, when Michael J. Fox uh, rides his skateboard into the malt shoppy, and the guy says, well, "Why are you wearing a life preserver?" Right. Yeah. You just fall off a boat. We're we're in the middle of uh, Ohio here, wherever that took place. Can't get a Pepsi free. Can't give you a tab. <laughs> I hardly know you, kid. Yeah. Did you see? He's the, gonna uh, be there. See the link I sent you? Uh, just recently. Yeah, this is the thing. You, you you know, this is just just another little viewport into this. I take your point. So, what if instead of thinking it's just weirdos that need animals on planes, what if it's inevitable that everybody has an animal on a plane? Yep. But also, what if you need a way to get your animal around town when we don't have cars? Where did you send me this link? Here in the Skype program? Yeah, you basically go to animals sitting on capybaras.tumblr.com. And I'm, sh- not, I'm not able to navigate this um, this website here. Yeah. So where would I find it? I'll send it to you the I'm, other way. Oh, wait, here. No, no, no I found it. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a little thing. Okay. An- oh, that's really a thing. Animals sitting on capybaras. Oh, get out of Dodge. Mm-mm. It's a whole site. It's a Tumblr. You can't make this stuff up. Get out of Dodge. There's monkeys on capybaras. Birds. There's a beep. There's a baby capybara on a... There's a capybara a, riding on another capybara. Oh, my goodness. There's a bird on a capybara. Well, let me ask you this. Does the capybara look sad or stressed out? The capybara is so content. It's so happy. The capybara is, is enormously contented to have a cat on itself, mm-hmm. uh, a monkey on itself, uh, like, well, it seems like an eagle mm-hmm. on itself. They just, they want things on them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And they, they love a monkey on their back. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? We're trying to get monkeys off of our back all the time. Turns out... Turns out we're just the wrong, we didn't have the wrong aminal. So is part of it a design problem? Part of it is just a conceptual problem. We think too much about how stuff should be. Like really, as we pointed out on numerous occasions, uh, a plane is basically a shitty bus in the sky. It's, it's very much based on the model of a bus. Don't you think? Are these capybaras having capybara sex? Is that what's going on in this Which picture? Which one? The one where the, the seems like they're having sex. Oh. It's like animals on, on capybaras, but then it's like, this is a capybara on top of another capybara. Oh, they capybara. did a little day live. They kind of slipped in. They it's did a little, little fight bit club, of like, slipped in. Yeah, it's a little bit of like a whoop, whoop. Uh-oh. Um, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, look at in, that. In the same way that you that we go into the Amazon and we uh, pick little uh, rare herbs and we grind them up and we see if uh, if it's aspirin. Right, we take mm-hmm. stick, we take some bark, and we uh, and we say, you know, somebody, some brave scientist somewhere is like, well, what happens if you snort it? Well, what happens if you put it under your tongue? Well, what happens if you? Or I guess they're probably not that brave. They're probably doing it to mice. Yeah. Uh, they're probably like the mingalas of the world, but they are um, mingala of mice. The, the mice mingala. Mm. Um, they are a legend. <laughs> but but uh, but so what we're discovering in looking at animals on capybaras.tumblr.com is that God let's just let's just say God that's short shorthand for whatever it is let's just shorthand it to God okay God already made capybaras to have things ride on them mm-hmm we just didn't know it. Mm-mm. We just weren't once until, looking. Once until Tumblr came along, you take some aspirin, get some South American aspirin, you put it in your butt, you realize this is something that's been right in front of us in plain sight all along. It's exactly. just nobody ever collected it scientifically onto a Tumblr site. Each person that saw a monkey on a capybara thought, whoa! Right. They didn't realize, no, 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 that's what capybaras are for. They only, they only ever sold a thousand capybaras, but, it, but everybody started a zoo. That's right. Every single one of them Every single one of them was a monkey. Right. Is that, Brian, is Brian said that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, 
So now we have the data. Now we know this is what they're for. Now that now we know that the capybara is the comfort animal for any comfort animal. Uh, so if you're if you're helping like a universal animal, universal donor. Exactly, right. Like if so in a world where we're all traveling with with um with our familiars, what do the familiars do when it's their coffee break? Right. They go chill with capybaras. Right? So there need to be so one of these Lowe's parking lots is going to have to be a capybara, like, not farm. Mm -mm. You're going to say it's just capybara landscape. You go to you go to IKEA, at least at our IKEA, and they got a big area downstairs where your kids can go and go and play, amuse themselves. And they say, please don't don't leave your kid here. But in this case, it's almost like a Christmas tree lot or a pumpkin patch that could be full of capybaras who are totally happy to be there and have things sit on them. Yeah, and then the other animals that are like, oh, I'm all tuckered out from chilling with my my human host. Yeah, they just want to sit on a capybara for a while. Hmm. And these are like economic opportunities for people that have that have foresight, that have vision. And 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 we're only just because, of course, the humans are going to need these support animals because they're all going to be wearing VR headsets. Oh, you know what? That had not even occurred to me that right? had not. even. So you're you're kind of like the Elon Musk of comfort animals. You're, well, you're, you're taking you're taking the success you've had in this area over here and applying it into this area. You can't even see over here that the others can't see. Right, you're you're, you're taking a far you're on the cusp a far-reaching vision of taking all the things that people don't understand and turn it into something that maybe you understand. Because initially, who rode in, like a chariot was a pretty expensive thing to build. A carriage was a pretty expensive thing to build. The roads were not very good, and it was not super. Like, if you built a carriage in, uh, in Jerusalem in. 4 AD, uh, that wouldn't be a very useful vehicle. There wouldn't be a lot of places you could ride in it. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to, over time, like the Romans built these roads, and even those would be fairly uncomfortable in a carriage, fairly bumpy, because we hadn't invented carriage suspension systems yet. And then over time, you know, over time we democratized the carriage. Initially, it was for rich people only, and then it was for, you know, it was for moving soldiers and grain, and eventually it was a thing that you could, that a, that a, not even, I mean, a, even, uh, even until the invention of the automobile, you know, a carriage was still like a big part of the family's wealth. But you're also, you're also pointing to another interesting related thing, which is that each of the pieces of what you're describing improved, got better, got less costly, got, you know, right. better quality, not all at the same time, not all at the same pace, not all at the same location, but roads got better. The parts mm -hmm. for the wagon wheels probably got less expensive. There was yep. a rising tide raising all of those carriages. Yes. And now we're in a, we're in a situation where every single person has, I'm not every single person, but it is very, very democratized that we have, uh, these, like comfort carriages that can go 80 miles an hour on the freeway that have air conditioning and stereo systems and you can have sex in the backseat if you have to. You can live in them even. Um, and so what we're when we're looking at comfort animals right now, we are seeing only the beginning. It is not – It is it, it, right now the, the, the people who are forging – the documentation for their comfort animal are actually the ones that have that have the long view. I I, I have been thinking about this. I actually yeah. heard something on the radio this morning. This is going to the Supreme Court. There was a girl with 
uh, I forget, cerebral palsy, cystic fibrosis, but she had some kind of a, a thing where she needed some help, and they family cobbled together this money, and they got her a uh, a dog whose name was Wonder, yeah. uh, and then they went to all that trouble, and uh, the school said, you can't have a dog here. Mr. Wonderful? Mr. Mr. Wonderful. They brought huh? Kevin from Shark Tank, and he was able to help her in class. But no, I mean, seriously, like right now, we look and like we joke and we say, hey, do you have a vest for that animal? Show me the license. Do you really Uh-oh. need that? Right, like, right. what if what if we're the retrograde ones here? What yeah. if, what if, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. I we're think saying, that, We're saying, show me your papers. And and what will, what will end up happening is that we're not just going to breed for animal dwarfism, but we're going to increasingly like we we uh, humans have intervened in the breeding of dogs for a long time yeah and uh and you know you breed dogs for this you breed dogs for that you breed some some dogs are real smart but smart in in specific terms like this dog is smart about herding sheep this dog is smart about chasing rats down holes sense of smell um, <clears throat> sense of smell smart right yeah that's a, it's a kind of smart it's like uh it's like emotional intelligence. Well, they can, they can, just, I mean, they, for a long time now, they've been, they can smell for bombs. They can smell for weed. Now they yeah. get dogs that can smell cancer and diabetes. Did it's, you know this? It's smell emotional intelligence. You, mm, mm, did you know about that? I, the diabetes is yeah. a new one oh, to me. No. no, no, I did. I mean, I, and I keep thinking that I should have one of those dogs because when I feel hypochondriactical, um, I would like a dog just to sniff me and give me the thumbs up. You know <laughs> what I mean? Little like paw, little paw thumbs up. Yeah, because you, because when you go to the doctor with your hypochondria, yeah, you say, "Doctor, I feel like I have, uh, I feel like did I tell you about did I tell you about my back cancer?" Oh no, I'm so sorry. No, John, I, I didn't know about that. Was it smelled by a dog? Well, no. So, so dog kept smelling your smelling your back and making a face like. Meh. So, uh, I was, um, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, moseying around. Yeah, as you do, as you do, and uh, I, I, uh, I, I. Reach back. I had there was something on my back, and I and I reached back, and there were like two (gasps) enormous sores on my back. Oh no! And I looked in the mirror, and I was like, "What the?" And they were. You're a little bit moldy, bumpy, right? To begin with. I got some moles. No, no, I I don't mean it in a normative way, but I mean you've got you've got uh, skin that does things. Oh yeah, 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 all kinds of things. I mean, you know, I'm a my skin is sensitive. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's, it, it's sometimes allergic to itself. It's it allergic to itself. It gets a little bit. Uh, it gets a little inflamed sometimes if I use the wrong soap, or if the wrong soap is even suggested to me. Oh no! Uh, that also, is, now that now that is sensitive. But also, <laughs> also if I don't use soap, right? I'm allergic to my own oils, so it will get really sensitive if I don't use soap often enough, or if I use the wrong soap. You're s- sensitive if you do. Sensitive if you don't. That's right. If a truck carrying soap goes by and someone alerts me to the fact that that truck might contain soap, oh, I no. will probably get a rash. Oh, John, that's terrible. Yeah, it's bad. But this was two giant sores in the middle of my back. Oh, my God. And I was like, <gasps> are they, not, are they not turning you often enough? Well, this is what that, that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like I had, a, I had MRSA. <laughs> and they were the size, they were each one the size of a quarter. Oh, and no. they were, they were, you know, it's, it's hard to say when you have two points, whether or not they're parallel or not, because any, or whether or not they're like a, connected by a straight line, because any two points are connected by a straight line. That's a good right? point. So, yeah. So, yeah, uh, but you, 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 look, you had you had Euclidean, you had Euclidean uh, parallelism. Yeah, right. Exactly. You look at them and you're like, that sure looks like it's like some kind of. 
did you ever have um, a shingles? No, no, but I've had herpes-related things. Yeah, well, shingles. I, I feel lucky that I, I've had chicken pox. I've had, I've had, I get, I get uh, stress bumps. Yeah. But I've known people with shingles, and apparently, it's quite unpleasant. So I've had shingles. Oh boy. And what's very confusing about shingles is that they happen on one half of your body. No. Yeah. Is that because and of it, neurology, John? Yes, I think. Ugh. I think it is neurological. Ugh. Um, I, I was at a party the other day, and a woman I was talking to said that she worked at Zymogenetics, and I said, oh, are you a biologist? And she said, biochemist. Oh, sure. And I was like, God damn it, I feel like such an idiot. Yeah. Of course, biochemist. And I was, you know, and I was like, biologist, like gen, I was just trying to throw a general blanket over it, like molecular bio, could be a lot of things. She's like, biochemist. I'm like, damn it. Damn it. I was so close. I'm not a folklorist. I'm a folklorologist. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so I'm looking at these sores on my back and I'm like, you know, this is no good. So I, so Were they, uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to take you off here. So I, I'm imagining quarters. I don't have any in front of me here. <clears throat> oh yeah, I do. Hang on. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got two. I got two quarters. How far yeah. apart do I put the quarters? And, and the same and, thing. They're five inches apart. So almost like the proportion of a, of a Dracula bite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except. Uh, except yeah, quarters, right, a quarter size Dracula bite. A quarter size Dracula bite. That's exactly. Okay. Right. Oh boy. And so I'm looking, but but you know the way that uh, the way that uh, that that shingles are bicameral or whatever in the sense that you you know. <laughs> They got, got two parties. There's a line. There's a line down the middle of your uh, of your of your body, right? Um, and on one side, you have the Democrats, yep. which is to say no shingles, and on the other side, you have another party. Let's they call, say they call the, the loyal opposition, uh, and that side of your body is completely covered with like big big sores. It's Ugh. very weird. It's very weird. And it's true, you know, front and back, like you turn around and half your back is shingles. In the end. So I'm looking at these things and I'm like, is this, is the fact that there's two of these, but they seem like they're the same size and separated by about four or five inches. Is this a kind of either, you know, could uh, you have, could you have a bicameral, uh, shingle or is it, is it something where you've got two different cases of shingles and they just aren't, they aren't familiar with each other? Or is it a staph infection? Is it MRSA? You talked about the MRSA kind of cancer. Yeah, and so I'm so everybody that I saw uh, for the next several days, I was like, "Would you look at this?" Ugh. And they would look at it and they'd go, "Ugh." And it, what was crazy is that five, six days into this thing, it wasn't clear to me or anyone whether the condition was getting better or worse. The sores didn't really change size. They just changed composition. And it was like sometimes they seemed like mm, and sometimes they seemed like that. But it didn't – it wasn't – it just was not cool at all. And I was thinking I need to go to the doctor. I am – this is a very weird thing. It just came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And now I have this. And the longer I wait, you know, this is going to be one of those things where they say, oh, if you had come in a week earlier, maybe we could have saved you. Right. Um who knows how long they've been there. And so I was about to make a doctor's appointment. It was, it was at the point where the, my usual project of like, just wait till this goes away had produced results, which was, uh, which were that it wasn't going to go away. That's and a kind of result. To, yeah, that is a result. And now I need to go to the doctor fast because having determined that it's not going to go away, it means it's here to stay. 
and I, I need immediate treatment. Hmm. And then, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, what possible, like search your brain for an explanation for this because you know, they hurt, but, but it didn't seem like, it didn't seem like if the cancer is already like creating this kind of like Carposi sarcoma. Oh God. Like what, like I should be sicker than I am or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I remembered that I had gone to the Russian bath (sighs) and I was thinking, wait a minute, I went to the Russian bath. Is this some kind of like spa Mercy could could be infectious. Right? Some kind of thing I got from the from being in the in the cold saltwater tank with uh with a bunch of Ukrainians? Mm-hmm. Like, is this something? And then I'm thinking I was at the Russian bath. That's gotta be there's something to this. And then I remembered. When I go into a sauna, I like to go to the hottest part of the sauna. Mm-hmm. And I went into the sauna and I climbed up to the top bench of the sauna next to the brick furnace. And I leaned back onto the, onto the bench and the bench was very hot, but I like a certain amount of scalding pain. Mm -hmm. And so I pressed my back into the hot bench and it like was very hot and sort of sizzled me. And I was like, ah, yeah, you know, really like, pushing you, you, you on you deserve it. this i deserve it like give it to me yeah and the bench was held together with two steel bolts the bolts obviously heated oh. to, a, to a temperature in which they were able to give me burns you got bolt burns bolt burns that like were serious burns like a, like and a second, I, like a second degree burn yeah. And I was sitting there just like pressing into this thing oh my God. and enjoying the feeling of like, this is really, I mean, I, this room is 155 degrees <laughs> and I am scalding myself on this bench and not realizing that no, in fact, you're burning yourself on these superheated bolts. Uh, and that was, you know, that was a sample size that caused me to realize that I was, I was not, I was not good at self-diagnosis <laughs> and pretty sure that I'd crossed a line. My whole life, I believed that I couldn't die. Mm. It was impossible to kill me. Even. So, so far, the evidence stands up. Right, that if God had wanted me dead, there were so many opportunities. Yeah. And each opportunity sort of proved, you know, proved the, uh, the premise that I wasn't meant to die. Hmm. And that if, and that when I did die, it was, it was, it was ordained. It was supposed to be, a, it was, it was going to be a big deal. And so all these little things like, Oh, d- be careful. Don't slip on the ice. It's like, look, if God wanted me to die, I wasn't going to be on the ice. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. No ample opportunities. Well, we've, we've got but, a little bit of time here. What is there? Were there times in your journey w- with the bolt burns where you think mm-hmm. you might've needed a little help of one kind or another? Maybe you were anxious Yes. about how you felt. Maybe your shirt was rubbing up against it and you couldn't get to a shelf. Mm. Were there any times where you could have used the help of some kind of an animal? And if so, what animal would have been useful to you? Though absolutely, the kind of animal that I needed was a cancer-sniffing dog. 
Because if a dog... He would just would have gone, eh, you're good. Yeah. I was having anxiety, right? And, and the thing is, I'm having anxiety all the time now because I crossed some Rubicon yeah. where on one side of the Rubicon, it was me in, and the Romans, and we were, uh, well, or let's say it was me and, the, and, the, and an army made up of um, like the barbarians... To a certain extent, and Car- uh, Carthaginians. I was going to say they brought the elephants, right? Yeah, um, but we're was on that one Hannibal? side. Well, no, it was it, it was Caesar across the Rubicon. But you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need an anxiety sniffing dog. You you know you got anxiety. Well, but I didn't used to, yeah. or at least I didn't identify it as anxiety. I identified it as uh, as a desire to uh, to smoke another cigarette. But yeah. now I realize that oh. Uh, I'm waking up in the middle of the night because UFOs are touching my toes Mm -hmm. and I am pretty sure every time I go to the doctor and I say, well, what, what, what does that mean? And the doctor says, don't worry about it. And I say, that's not what doctors are supposed to say. And the doctor leans in and says, so I have a new doctor, right? And I have this, I have this relationship Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I've always wanted. My dad had a relationship with his doctor. I've never had a relationship with the doctor. I mean, either. So now I have a doctor and I'm, and we're developing a relationship and my doctor is six foot five. He's 60 years old in very, not, not like he's not carved out of Oak, but he's in good shape for a 65 year old. He has a fidget. He's a fidgeter. Oh, he like, he sits with his fingers and like pulls on his fingers. Oh, I I like that. I like a little humanity in a doctor. Yeah, he's uh he he kind of is like a like a he probably bike commutes, you know, he's kind of hippie. What's his what's his background, do you think? Mm, sort of a he doctor? Okay. He went to med school? Okay, okay. You know, mm-hmm. Got a, got a he's background. A, he's a, he's a kind of comfort doctor. Yeah. And uh and so I so I've been saying to him like, well, yeah, but what's the worst case scenario? And he <laughs> says uh he says there's no point in thinking about a worst case scenario. And you're, I said, Paul. you're already dead and you're dreaming this. <laughs> yeah. I say wrong. The The point of a worst case scenario is to think about it. Absolutely. To, to brood, to brood on it. And he said, wrong. Um, don't think about the worst case scenario. The reality is, uh, that, uh, that well, there's a, you know, anything can happen. And so why not just think about, uh, why not just not think about it? And I said, well, uh, that seems dumb. And he said, no, the opposite it seems not dumb. Seems wow, dumb. I like this doctor. <laughs> Seems dumb to think about worst case scenarios when there's no. And so I'm like, well, what about this? And he said, well, uh, we could test for those things, but um, typically we don't. And I was, I was like, uh, well, but this is a typical situation because it's me you're dealing with. Yeah, and I'm John so- Roderick. Yeah, so well, let's let's get the let's roll out these tests. And he was like, "Yeah, you know, uh, we test, and then maybe we find something. Maybe we don't. Uh, if it, you know, typically you don't have any of the additional symptoms of anything that would uh, that would move us in the direction of thinking that you had anything other than that you're perfectly healthy and fine." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, this says you, Mister. Yeah, right. What about it's all easy for you the- to say?" Yeah, what about all the potential heart attacks I haven't had yet? And he's like, yeah, well, uh, you don't seem like somebody. I mean, anybody could have one at any time. People have them all the time, but uh, it, generally, we think that if you're going to have one, it would you'd show these symptoms and you don't have them. And so, what I need is one of these dogs. Hmm. And every morning, I would wake up and I would let the dog sniff, start at, start at my finger, 
sniff up my arm, sniff across my back and down the other arm, sniff down. And if the dog is just, if the dog is not signaling, if the dog is chill, then I would chill. Like, Oh, no, I get it. Yeah. I got no, there's no, no abnormalities. The dog has done its job. It can go ride a capybara for the rest of the day. I take your point. Now, this was a product that was on Shark Tank last night, and uh, it's a, they got a Kickstarter for this thing, and it looks like a tiny little like a spy camera. And the idea is, you look through this thing as an electronic device, and when you're putting sunscreen on someone, uh, you can see how much sunscreen the person actually has on because it's uh-huh. using like ultraviolet science. And so, yeah. basically, if they look like they're wearing blackface, you're good to go. Ooh. Okay, so I, I think again, I think Mr. Wonderful uh, went for this one. I'm saying you yeah. need you need something similar here, right? You want some way of saying you want your George Costanza. You want to get out of here. You you want you want the dog to basically give give you some assurance that at least for today, no cancer. Well, and the thing is, it doesn't have to be a dog. It could be a tiny deer. Oh, you could have a you could have a cancer sniffing poodoo. What if I had a cancer sniffing poodoo who, uh, because there are no parking lots anymore, right? Yeah. There's just poodoos everywhere. Right now, imagine this. Imagine a future world where there's a plague of poodoos upon the land. Mm, that's a nice because, plague. right? Because a lot of people bought comfort poodoos. Oh, it's going to be like Nutrias, you think? Yeah, they turn them loose in the yard, and then pretty soon they're mating, and then pretty soon poodoos everywhere. Like poodoos are out competing squirrels. So they're they're like almost like a pigeon, where you're like, Ugh, they're a blight. Yeah, poodoos everywhere. Ah, get these poodoos, get out of here. Shoo, shoo, you're out with a broom. Shoo, shoo, poodoo. You're shoo-shooing poodoos with a broom. Mm. And and yet, what we didn't realize, Amazon rainforest aspirin uh, powder, (laughs) poodoos can smell cancer. And they're they're super cuddly. So you you walk out in the yard in the morning, you stretch, oh, you grab the nearest poodoo, stick it under your arm, right? It's almost like a drinking fountain. Yeah, they're just around. Yeah, they're around, right? You just you you don't need you don't need your own poodoo. You don't you're need just, to you're, you're, you're walking around. You grab a poodoo. You have it smell you. You say cancer, no cancer, right? Or just whatever. Or, like or if a whatever. poodoo, like what if it could tell you? What if there's a poodoo that was wandering around the park? You just pick it up like you would like a lady's purse. What if it can like smell whether you're full of shit today? Like, wouldn't it be nice to go like you know? I wonder if I'm full of shit today. I kind of feel like I might be sort of full of shit. You know what I mean? Like, am I yeah. am I am I fooling myself about the world today? Am I doing something really dumb and not knowing? And the poodoo would just nod a little and go, mm-hmm. "Isn't that, that how cute? you use a scale? <laughs> you mean the Wi-Fi scale? Yeah, you wake up in the morning, you stand on the Wi-Fi scale, and you're like, am I full of shit? Well, it depends. You weigh yourself says, before mm-hmm. and after, and there can be a differential of up to six tenths of tenths of a pound. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that when you you're actually saying, you're saying literal shit. Well, no, you poop. Mm-hmm. And then you gain weight? Sometimes, yeah. The the weight that you gained is full of shitness. I haven't tested it as much on pooping as peeing, but yeah. I think that people do not want to know whether they're full of shit. And that that if that were, if poodoos could smell that, then they would be eradicated. Oh, so that's good right? to keep in your pocket in case you ever do get a true blight. But you're saying this is more of a you are mortal, you are mortal type situation. Mm, yeah, well, I mean. Poodoo as an existential jester. What we don't know is how poodoos, like how they signal. Yet. We don't know that yet, right? No. Like a like a retriever, like a pointer. Oh, it right? tucks up its little tail and it raises its little hand. Sure, it points at the duck. Yes, that, that, there's your duck. There's your duck. There it is. So how does a poodoo signal either that there's an abnormality in, at the cellular level? Like a poodoo could signal and say, you need a molecular biologist 
another Pudu could signal and say, no, what you need is a biochemist. Oh, that's Different good. signals, right? Because it's, it's also, sense of smell is so acute that it even understands terminology that you get wrong. Right. That's right. amazing. It, know, it knows what you need before you know you need it. Exactly. It's, it's kind of it's like a four-legged butler. Four-legged but, but, butler. Butler scientist. That's, you know what? That's the branding that's, that uh, we're going to brand our Pudu farm. Four-legged <laughs> butler. I feel... I feel very strongly that the way that Pudu's signal full of shitness mm-hmm. is going to be – its the, this is the sink or swim uh-huh. for them. Oh, right? like, this is the inflection point. Now, do we want to breed them? As, as John Syracuse says, do we want to evolve them in a I, certain way in a Lamarckian sense? Do we want to push the Pudu's this direction as regards signaling or do we want them to just show us here's the way? How do we sure, know like, it's working? If they if they signal in a way that we can anthropomorphize, like if a poodoo yes. knows that you're full of shit and it rolls its eyes, or holds up a yellow card, <laughs> right? Then this is it. This is actually endangers the poodoo. Oh, that but is if, so interesting. You know, but if a poodoo is coming from inside the poodoo, precisely. Mm. If the poodoo signals in a way that is more obtuse, what what if it cuddles you a little bit? If you're full of shit and its reaction is to cuddle you, yeah. Oh my god, we're billionaires. 